Welcome to the Anchored in Christ podcast. This is a place where we want to help young people draw closer to God and in doing so develop the confidence to take ownership of their journey, goals and purpose through biblical teachings and conversations. Our facilitator will be Ria Mudao and each episode she will be bringing you lessons on the Bible chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to help you maintain or build your connection with God through His written word and to remind you of His character, His promises and your future together with Him. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Please don't forget to follow and share as this will help us grow our audience. Now let us begin. Greetings ladies and gentlemen. My name is Nolotando Shope and I'll be your host for today's Bible study. During the study, we'll be covering chapters 5 to 11 from the book of Exodus. I will now hand over to Sanele Lamini to lead us in prayer. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we come before you. In your name, we come praying, Heavenly Father, that may your spirit be with us today as we unpack your word. May it grow inside of us and go see and bear good fruit. May you be with Cecilia today in all the teachings she's going to give and help our hearts to receive them as well. We thank you once again for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. A few housekeeping rules. Please will you mute your mic and switch your camera off for the duration of the session. If you have a question, please type it in the chat function and it'll be answered as soon as possible. The dominant theme for these chapters is the 10 plagues. When Moses was ready to pass on leadership to Joshua, he commanded him to be strong and courageous. But where did Moses learn courage? He learned it here in Egypt under the insults and taunts of both Pharaoh and his own people. In Exodus chapter three, verse 16, Moses goes to the elders of Israel to explain his mission that God had instructed him. And now in these chapters, we see that God has instructed him to go directly to Pharaoh. Exodus 5 verse 1 reads, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. There is so much that Moses learned from the ten plagues. We too can take this biblical story as an opportunity to learn and to discover more about God. I'm now going to hand over to Ria Mudal, who will be our facilitator this evening. She will also be helping us unpack these amazing chapters. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tando. I think you actually covered, um, you know, the crux of, of, of this few chapters where God deals with Moses. I mean, we, we looked at chapter one to three where God was saying to Moses, do this, do this, do this. And he was not that courageous, but you know, what we find in chapter four and five is God say, teaching Moses how to do certain things so that he can be stronger, so that he can get the courage. Because the honest fact is that Moses did not know God. Moses did not know God. He was born as a, he was born as a slave, raised by a queen in Egypt, but he did not know who God was. And, and this is God training Moses. So we ended up 
we did up until chapter three, we had to do chapter four and five, but we couldn't because of time and, and the, the introduction that we had to go through. So I thought, let us start off with, you know, closing off chapter four and five, because chapter four and five is actually the crux of the calling of Moses, where God is, is you know, face to face with Moses and saying, we need to deal with this. Before you can go to anyone and start preaching, we need to deal with this. So today, we're actually going to look at finish the call of Moses, which, which is chapter four and five. Chapter five is actually Moses returning back to Pharaoh, like Tando, Tando said, to say, release my people. Chapter six, um, is the everlasting covenant. God, God reminds him of this is not about you. This comes from Abraham. And then the plagues you find from chapter seven to chapter 11. Um, the last plague takes about three chapters of the book of Exodus. But I think that is because it's closely linked to, to us as Christians and to many people that benefit from what happened from the, the journey that Moses took with the Israelites. So going on to the next slide, um, I just highlighted a few things, uh, which I think um, it's the core of why they, they were going through this. This comes from the book of Genesis, where, where God said to Abraham, God said to Abraham, your family, I am going to give you kids. And this is when Abraham said, God, you must be joking. Where is the child going to come from? I'm 75 years old. I've been waiting. And God said, I am going to give you a child. And out of that, you are going to have a nation. And those kids are going to go to a foreign land for 400 years. They are going to be slaves, but I'm going to free them. And these are the people that are going to be freed because of the pro promise that God gave. So this is where it actually comes from. And when you go to the next slide, um, I just pointed out how the book of Exodus is broken down because it's, it's quite important when you're studying a book to understand how you study certain parts of the book. The plagues, the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, you know, the, the Mara, the stories in Mara, those are good stories because they are biographies. And, and that's what you find from chapters 1 to 18. From 19 to 24, you will see that God is going to give them the Ten Commandments. You need to do this. And from 25 to 40, it's the tabernacle. God gives instructions to Moses where he says, this is how you need to build the tabernacle. So that is how the book of Exodus is structured. And as you go on, to the next slide. Um, I, you know, this is something that I should have said when we had the first class or the first session in the book of Exodus. Most people that study the book of Exodus, um, and I think we talked about typologies when we did Genesis, and we talked about how, how Abraham, God said to Abraham, take your one and only son and go and make him a sacrifice. And, and we studied that as a typology of God doing the same thing with his one and only son. And when you study the history, it was at the same place where Jesus was then crucified. So a typology is when you find a story in the Bible, usually you'd find it in the Old Testament, but it, it links, it's a story where God is trying to show you something that is going to happen in the future or a bigger model. So the story of Exodus and the Israelites leaving, leaving Egypt is seen as a typology. And Israel is seen as us because we are the loved ones of God. And Israel is seen as the people that are loved by God. Egypt is seen as the world that we live in that keeps us in bondage. As much as we try so hard, we know of the promise. We know we've been given the promise, but we struggle. And we, we, there is a bondage somehow in this world. Pharaoh, who was the king then, is seen as I can say set Satan or the devil who tries by all means, even when Christ, who is our Moses, 
approaches him every time to say, you need to let this person go. He tries by all means to fight and keep us in that bondage. And the bondage obviously is seen as the, the sin of this world, which is the bondage of this world. The deliverer, Moses is seen as a type of a Christ who goes and says to the adversary, you need to let my people go because this is how much I love them. And the Passover, which we are going to see in the 10th plague, we know what it means to us because that was Christ. That was when the only son was given for us to be saved. So the story of Moses and Egypt and the Israelites is seen as a typology of 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 how we are in bondage in this world and how we can be released from that bondage. And going on um, to the next slide, um, then we're going to start off in chapter four and I'm going to rush through chapter four because you know, we need to get to the 10 place. So chapter four, we ended up, we did chapter three from, from chapter three verse 10, I think, to four verse uh, somewhere in 15, God has a, 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 you know, I call it the masterclass. God has a discussion with Moses and he's trying to convince him that actually you can do this and, and you've got this because you've got me. And the first question that Moses asked, and I think that was somewhere in chapter three, we did that in chapter three, Moses says to God, uh, um, who am I? Who am I that you would send? And God answers that. The second question that Moses asked God is, who are you? I don't know you. How, what do I say to the Israelites when I get to them? And he says, I am who I am. Four verse one, it's actually the third question that Moses asked. What if, the what if question, of what if I get to them and they do not believe what I say? And, you know, when we studied chapter three, we, God answered the what if question before, because I think it was in chapter three verse um, 18, I think. Yes, in chapter three verse 18, God said to Moses, a sign that I am the one that I'm sending you. When you speak to the elders of Israel, they are going to listen to you. But when you speak to Pharaoh, he will not listen to you. So he goes back to God and asks the same question and says, God, what if these people don't listen to me? And, and God, you know, he gives him the same answer. He says, you know, God is amazing. God is really amazing, you know, because he goes ahead, you know, and, and answers. And you say, you know, God does not ask for things that we do not have. God will never ask you to give him something that you do not have. If you think you do not have it, it's probably because you have not yet realized your power. Because God says to Moses, when you read 4 verse 2, he says, what is in your hand? Like Moses, what are you holding? And Moses says, I'm holding a staff. Other versions say a stick and all that. And God says, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it, and it became a snake or a serpent in other versions. And Moses fled from it with reason and also ran away. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by his tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. And, and God said that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So God goes and says to Moses, you know what? What do you have? I'm not asking for something, a miracle. What do you have? He says a stick, throw it on the ground. When, when Moses throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake and he runs away. I mean, don't Moses has been in Midian for 40 years, so he probably knows that, you know, you don't play around snakes. But, you know, for me, the, 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 the powerful message that I get behind this is that God will not ask for something that you do not have. You know, if he asks you to do something and you feel like I don't have it in me, then you need to search deeper because it's there in you, you've just not realized it. And I said the last session, you know, find out, most of us think it's, it's, what is my purpose? I'm struggling to find what my purpose is. And I always, last week, the last session we had, not last week, a few weeks back, I said, 
find out what makes you tick. The one thing that makes you tick the most, that is where your purpose is. That is where your, Moses was against injustice. When we read chapter two, he found an Egyptian man being killed. He fought immediately and he killed the other man. When he found the, the daughters of, of Jethro being um, abused in inverted commas by certain men, the Bible says he stood up immediately and he fought for that. So injustice made him tick and God used that as his calling. So find out what makes you tick. You will find your calling. I always say that the reason why I do this is because what, what really makes me tick is that Christians have, walk around with a Bible, which has all answers that we are looking for, but we still think we are looking for answers elsewhere. And that is why I do what I do. Like you have the answers. It's in the Bible. Just open it and read it. And that will find out what makes you tick and you will find what God wants you to do. And that is usually your calling. The second thing, you know, that I find is, you know, God will, will ask you to do something that is counterintuitive. Moses was in the in Median for 40 years. I don't know much about snakes, but I, what I know is that you do not touch a snake by its tail or pick it up by its tail. Because what we've been taught or what we see is that it will turn around and it will bite you. But God asked him to do what is not natural. Because, you know, God will ask you to do their natural. And there are times when you don't have to use your experience. He was experienced in Median for 40 years. But God said, no, you know, pick it up by its tail. And, and that is because this time you're not going to use the experience. You're going to use what I'm saying. And, you know, when you go to between um, verses 6 to 8, you know, the Lord then says to Moses, um, take your hand, put it in your other version says, bosom, your heart, under your jacket, you know, there's a lot of versions. And he took it and he put it in his, in his bosom when the Bible says when he removed it, it, it was leprous, it was white. And then God said, take it and put it back and put it back when he, he, he removed his hand again, um, it was fresh and it was clean. So when you go to eight, um, God says to him, you know, when you get to the, to the Israelites, the elders of Israel, perform these signs so that they may, they may believe that I am God. And, and I, what I see from this is, you know, God will continuously remind us how weak the flesh is. You know, in a minute, he said, take it and put it in your, in your heart. And he did. And they were, it was leprous. So these times, not these times, we, don't, we can't depend on our flesh because the flesh does get to a point where it, it does not deliver as much as we wanted to, you know, what, what looked like a stick, what looked like a dead piece of wood, what looked like a stick, a walking stick for Moses, it actually parted the Red Sea. It actually, it actually when, when Moses hit a, a stone, it actually gave the Israelites water because it was not about the stick, but it was what was in the stick, which was God. So it, it's always God. It's, it's never about you know, what you are coming with or, or who you are. It's about who you are, who you are coming with. And when you, when we go to verse, verses nine and 10, um, Moses, you know, yeah, he's still saying to God, oh God, what if they don't believe me? Then in, in 10, um, he actually asked the last question. He says, God, that God, and Moses says to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the past. No, since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow in speech and slow of tongue. And, you know, God, I, the, I would summarize God's answer as I know your problems very well. And I'm sending you knowing those problems. God, God says, he gives him a very elegant answer. He says, 
who has made men's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Underline, I will teach you what to say. Most of us think, you know, when, when God sends us to do, do things, he will do things on our behalf. No, God partners with us. Um, you know, most of us are sitting because we think we are waiting for God to do something. No, you need to stand up. You need to stand up and do your part. Um, and, and God will partner with you. And that's what he said. He didn't say, I'll speak for you. He said, I will teach you how to speak. I love this book. I love this verse because um, it reminds me, I think it's John 9, if I'm not mistaken. When the, the, the disciples ask, they see uh, a child, a, a person that was crippled. And they say to Christ, his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? Why was he born blind? And Christ answers, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Whether you are slow of speech, whether you can't see, all, all, all is done so that God might be displayed in our lives. And, and it ties in to that verse really well. And when we get to 13 and 14, um, Moses makes God very angry. You know, and every time I, I speak you know, about this verse, I say, know your boundaries. Know when you are crossing the line. Uh, because he then says in 13, please, Lord, send someone else. I hear all these reasons and all that. I'll be with you. Please send someone else. And 14 says, the anger of the Lord bent against Moses. And I think it was because God was saying to him, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to just say yes. The rest will be done by me. And the Bible says that, you know, the good God that we serve, they, he does not do what we do when we get angry. He then says to, to Moses, all right. Your brother is coming. Aaron is coming. Take your brother. And, and he can speak. You know your brother can speak and he will speak on your behalf. And that is the good Lord that we serve. He, he sometimes allows us to compromise, you know, his standards because of, of what we think we cannot do. But it becomes a problem. When you study the life of Moses throughout the Exodus numbers, you will see that Aaron will become a problem. Aaron will become a problem because the God's plan was for Moses to do this, but because he wanted God to, you know, fit in his plan, God allowed it. So I always say God accommodated Moses, but the compromise was not God's best in Moses' in Moses' life. You know, so following God's true desire, it's always better than sliding in your, you know, this is going to help me because we know we are going to see when Aaron, Moses is gone to meet God for 40 days, Aaron creates gods and he says, bring your rings, bring your necklaces. And he created these gold calves and they started praying to these gods. It was Aaron who was doing all those things. But, you know, at times God allows us, compromises his plan. And when you go all the way um, up until the end of chapter four, um, Moses believes Bible says Moses believes and he goes, you know, God always, always ties things together because the Bible says that as Moses summarizing till the end, as Moses was walking back, Aaron was walking towards him. So God made sure that Aaron was somewhere closer, you know, to ensure that they go with Moses. He goes back to Jethro, uh, his father-in-law and Jethro um, blesses him and say, you can go and do what God wants you to do. I like verse 20. 
I like verse 20 because it says, so Moses took his wife, his sons, he mounted them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. The last line said, Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And I always say, um, God, in our journey, in our beginning steps, you know, of learning to walk with God, we do need tangible things. At this point, Moses needed that stick to do everything. I think if Moses was to get to Egypt without his stick, he was probably going to walk back and say, no, I can't do anything. Because at our infancy, in, in knowing God, we believe in the tangibles. And, and that's why Christ came, because he was getting to a point where he said, you've been carrying the tabernacle. You've been carrying the Ark of the Covenant, but you still don't know God. You need to get to a point where he lives in you. So Moses, I, I laugh every time I read this, that you know he probably held his wife on the left, but held, took the stick on his right hand because he knew that whatever I do, I need this tangible thing, this works. But it was not the stick. It was the power behind the stick. I am not sure how we are doing with slides. I'm so sorry I, I stopped saying move, but I think now we're going to chapter five. Yes, because in chapter six, Sorry, before we get to chapter five, just mark, most people ask what is happening between verses 24 and 26, when God nearly kills Moses, when they were on their way back to Egypt. God nearly kills Moses. And the Bible says that Zipporah took the son immediately. Zipporah is Moses' wife. And he, she quickly circumcised the son. And the reason why God nearly killed Moses is because Moses had not followed the covenant. He did not circumcise his sons and he was going back to Egypt. And for a person that was going to carry this covenant forward of Abraham, he had missed to do what God had asked him to do as, in, as a Hebrew man. So I think the teaching there is your new call does not cancel your obedience to prior commands. Your new call does not cancel your obedience to prior demands. You do what you need. He had to even go back to Jethro and ask for permission as an ordained leader by God, but he still had to do certain things before he gets to Egypt. And that was the reason why God nearly killed Moses on his journey back to Egypt. And this is how we close off chapter four. Moving on to chapter five, um, Moses goes back to the Israelites, that he was um, the leaders of Israel. And five verse one, you know, after Moses and Aaron came and said, they came to Pharaoh. Guys, you need to picture, those people are old. The Bible says Moses was, 80 years old when he did this. So his waiting room was quite long because Moses, at the age of 40, he went to Midian. At the age of 80, he's going back to Egypt and he's going to die at the age of um, 120. So for 80 years, Moses was, for 40 years, he was waiting in Midian. And for that 80 years, he was still on his journey of walking with God because they had not yet gotten to the promised land. So these are very old people that are getting to the Pharaoh and they're saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and the Pharaoh knows Moses very well. Um, two, five verse two, you need to underline five verse two to four. Because that is the reason why God showed up. Pharaoh said, when they said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? And God is going to show them who the Lord is. He then goes ahead to say, I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise he will fall, up, fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, to Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? So these people, when you read the end of chapter four, they go to the Egypt, the Israelites and explain to them that, hey, this is what God said. We are about to go. We are ready to go. The Bible says they were happy. They were celebrating. There is, you know, they've been slaves. They were born slaves. And now they found a leader. All is well. They power them up. Go and speak to Pharaoh. They get to Pharaoh. They say, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, who's God? Who's God? Like, why should I listen to your God? And I, I always say that is the sound of failure. Uh, you know, uh, when, when Moses was going there, I'm sure he was proud of that moment as a Hebrew son to, to go and fight for his people. But the Pharaoh said, they said, no, like, you know, who's God? And when you summarize, I summarize from, from five to 19, what happens is the Pharaoh, after Moses goes and says, let my people go, he makes things worse. For the, for the Israelites. The Bible says that um, he told the taskmasters that, you know what, those people are spending so much time saying they're about to go there, the Hebrew God, make the, the work even worse. Whatever they're doing, make it worse. Um, don't give them straw. So apparently straw was what they used to make bricks. Make it worse. And, and these are people that, you know, when God says this is going to happen and you first by hitting a a dip before you actually rise. I, I say this is the last kick of a dying horse because they become very angry. They become very angry. And they went to Moses. When you read 25 verse 20, they go to Moses and say, Moses, the reason why we are going through this is because you and your brother went to the king and said that he must free us. Now the work that we're doing is worse. The slavery, we, it's intense. We cannot do it anymore. And Moses returned to God, 22, 5 verse 22, Moses returns to God and he says, oh Lord, why have you brought harm to these people? Why did you ever send me, ever since I came to Pharaoh, to speak in your name? He has done harm to his people and you have not delivered your people at all. What did God say? We are very selective with listening to the word of God. We listen with, you know, when, when those that started listening and hearing say that, you know, when you truly listen, you listen to what everyone else is saying, but those that are known as not good listeners, you know, they, they grab things there and there, but not the entire message. And this is what happens because God said, God was, I think he said it four to five times. He will not listen. He will not listen. I think when you go back, there's a verse that I should have asked you guys underline. I think it is four verse, four verse 29 to 31. Four verse 29 to 31. Because God tells him exactly what he's going. Pharaoh will not listen. I will first kill his firstborn son and then he will do this but Moses then is discouraged that I get there and now the Pharaoh decides not to listen to me and we end of chapter five 
with God, God is going to answer Moses, you know, as we go on to chapter six. He says, you know, he returned to the Lord and he says, God, these people are not listening. Why are you doing this? And I call this um, the university of trouble. And you can note some way, 1 Peter 5 verse 10. Trouble is, is part of our lives. Christ says it so many times that for those that bear the cross, trouble will follow you. For those that bear the cross, trouble will follow you. And Peter, Peter explains it very well. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself mark perfect. He will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish you. Trouble is needed for these things, to perfect us, which is to fully equip us for our purpose in life, to confirm us, to give us the strength, and to establish us, to lay a good foundation on whatever that we are going to do. Because Israel is actually a foundation that we hang, we, we, we are built on this foundation and it had to be a strong foundation because today we stand as Christians because of this foundation. So it, it was, um, it, it, I call it the university of trouble because every time I myself go through trouble, I, I go to this book and say, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to perfect? What are you confirming? What are you strengthening? And what are you establishing? Um, you know, the Archbishop once said that trouble is fine in your life, but don't go through useless challenges. Don't go through useless trouble. That does not bring out anything in life. Go through trouble that will bear fruits because that is the trouble that, that has meaning in front of God. As we move to chapter six, um, I will ask, so I know I asked you to do this. Can you please, I know that Romans 9 is, Romans chapter 9 is a book that a lot of people don't like because God just says the truth about who he is and how we cannot question him as human beings. But can you please read for me Romans 9 verse 14 to 24 because I think it's a foundation for how hard, how um, Pharaoh's heart was just, no one could crack it. Are you going to go with it, Bitsugo? Sure. Uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 9, you said 14, right? Correct. What, the, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on, on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? 
Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Thank you so much. Um, you know, in your spare time, read the book of, of Romans 9. And, you know, as much as most of us say, but why then do I have to suffer if it's God's will? But again, God is God. God is God and he does what he likes. Um, and, and in this, I started with Romans 9 because the theme that you're going to see, Pharaoh is going to be even more difficult to deal with. But Romans 9 already tells us that it was God's plan. It was God's plan for this to happen this way um, because God had to show his power. God had to teach who he was to Moses. God had to teach who he was to Egypt, which is the world. God had to teach who he was to Pharaoh. So it, it was God teaching everyone who he was because the theme and, you know, every time we see so that they may know that I am the Lord, you will see, we will probably, I think 11 times in this coming chapters, three chapters, I think, four chapters, God will keep on saying so that they may know who I am, so that they may see who I am. So that was the purpose of everything that we are going to be seeing here. That Archbishop a few weeks said that God does not give us what he deserves, what we deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. He, he gives us what he sees as right and what we should get. Um, I think there's a question. I hope it's not about Roman 9 because I struggle to answer um, <laughs> questions around Roman 9. So then are there people who were born to go against God from birth? God created them for that. Can we then truly say that we have free will or is everything already predestined? I think there are people that were, you know, when I look at the story of Judas, uh, you know, I, I think it, it was written somewhere. I think somewhere, I forgot the book. It is written there that it had to be. It is also written here that Pharaoh, had to do this so that we could see the power of God. But I do, I know for a fact that we have the will. If you look at Pharaoh, and I'll, I'll use him as an example. Pharaoh was not a good person before even God hardened his heart. He was, he was, when you read Exodus 1, he was killing babies. He took all babies and he threw them in the river. I don't, that was choice because that was before even God's, you know, plan. Okay, it's always God's plan. But I think that was him showing the power because Egyptians really believed that all the power sits with the Pharaoh. Pharaoh was seen as the highest God. And you will see with the plagues, all these plagues that you see were actually against the gods of Egypt. And God does say it in, in, in Exodus 12, verse 12, where he says, this is actually against the gods of Egypt. And Pharaoh was seen as the biggest God of Egypt. So it, it was there was an element of his heart which was not right. So I, there are certain, there, there is instances where we have choice, we do have choice. And I, I guess that is where there is a book as well that says, 
I know it in Venda, <laughs> you know, Combo it's, it's as a pray that, you know, certain things, that certain bad things don't happen through you. Pray, be a good person and pray that certain good, bad things that's meant to happen don't happen through you. So I guess, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I struggle with Roman nine questions, I, I won't lie. But I think we do have choice. I know that we do have a choice. We can choose. Um, and, but in most instances, God uses those that are already in a bad path. Judas, we know that already he was doing funny things before he even sold Christ. And God used him as the bad person. So I think the message is be a clean vessel. Because when, when you are a vessel that can easily be used for bad things then and you're available for such things then chances are you know you will be used for such things i hope i'm making sense and yeah all right so as we go into chapter six we ended chapter five next slide we ended chapter five with with um moses going to god and saying god what are you why are you doing this and god had already told him and chapter six, I always say, this is God, God being generous and giving his answers because God then goes to Moses, you know, and he reminds him, he reminds him, we are going to see the seven I wills in this section. And in six verse one, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, you must mark the I will, what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of the land. And, and God is, is he's giving him promises. There's no ifs or buts or I will. He's saying, I, I, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let them go under compulsion and he will drive them out of this land. And God, then God, spoke further to Moses and said to him, I love, I love, you know, the way God just comes back to Moses and says, um, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. It's as if he's saying, I am the master. He says in three, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. You know, he's, he's like saying to Moses, you know, your, your ancestors, they know me, but not by name. And I expect you to know me in an intimate way now, because we are in this together. Four says that um, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard God does hear. I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered, God does remember. I have remembered my covenant. It's six. He says, therefore, the sons, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring, I will bring you out from the burdens of Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. God promises Moses, he gives him all these promises that all these things is going to happen. I will do as I said I will. And in seven, then take my people, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. 
that is there's nothing as soothing as you know god saying i will be your god and you shall know that i am the lord who brought you out from under the burdens of the egyptians i will bring you to the land which i saw to give abraham isaac and jacob and i will give it to you as a possession for i am the lord i love how he starts by saying i am the lord and he ends by saying for i am the lord he opens and closes by i am the lord and he gives them the seven i wills which which is a promise you know he promises them a relationship because it says i will take you to be my people he promises them release he says i will deliver you and i will give you the things that i promised to give to you so moses he spoke so he went back i mean he's gotten all these promises he goes back to the israelites and tells them all these good things but the bible says that in verse 9 they did not listen to moses they did not listen to moses on account of their dependency on cruel bondage it is normal it is normal for us as human beings to go through this while we are in bondage even promises do not make sense while we are in bondage even a promise of i will do this does not make sense but you need to believe faith is the first step that you need to take to activate that promise the lord then spoke they did not listen but god then says to moses now go back go back to pharaoh and tell pharaoh the king of egypt to let the son of israel out of the land he went back, poor Moses went back, saying, behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How will the Pharaoh listen to me? He brings back the fact that he, he's not good enough. He says, for I am unskilled in speech. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge of the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the sons out of Egypt. God says to, the, to them, go, you need to go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh to release my, my people. And when you look at um, God sending Moses between verses 10 and 13, God is not asking Moses to go and convince the Pharaoh. No, he knows Moses cannot do it. God is not asking Moses to go and take the people out of Egypt. No, he knows Moses cannot do it. But God is still dealing with Moses because Moses himself is not yet in a position where he fully trusts this plan. Because in the midst of all the I wills, he then says, God, but you know that I cannot speak. So he goes back to the problems that he's still having with his confidence. And, and the reason he is still dealing with Moses because Moses has to be in a position where he's fit enough to, to drive this with the Pharaoh. But God needed Moses to be strong because we are going to see how difficult the Israelites are going to be. He needed him to be very strong. And he says to him, you need to go back to the Pharaoh and say this. The theme of this chapter, so that they may know that I am God. He says it 11 times. 11 times he says this to Moses. Chapter 6, verse 2, 6, verse 7. Chapter 8, 8 verse 28, 7 verse 5, 7 verse 17, 8 verse 10, 8 verse 22, 9 verse 14, and chapter 10 verse 2, he keeps on saying, so that they may know that I am God. So the end of chapter 6, we're going to close it off like that.
it gives the genealogy from 14, from 6 verse 14 to 27, God gives a genealogy of the people that are in Egypt at that time. And, and I think I said it when we closed off Genesis, where God gave a genealogy of the people that went into Egypt. Now he's giving a genealogy of people that are going to leave Egypt. He starts saying to Moses, note down who are those people. And chapter 14, 6 verse 14, verse 14 to 27, is the genealogy of the people that go out of Israel. For those that study genealogies and what happens and the numbers and who's left out, this is very important. But one big, one nice thing to note is that all the 12 sons were noted. You will start seeing the genealogies changing when we go into Leviticus and when people start, you know, failing there and there. But here, all the 12 sons and the families are noted as the people that are going to leave Egypt. God is very articulate. He does not, he wants to show you the way it is. And as we move on, chapter seven, which is where the 10 plagues start. And we are just going to summarize the 10 plagues. I hope you read the plagues, beautiful story, beautiful story of reading all the good things. But before we go to the plagues, because I think the plagues start somewhere in 10, I want us to look at chapter seven, just the opening and I will read. Seven, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh, underline that I make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. It's the first time in the Bible that we see the word prophet. It is the first time that we see prophet. And if you remember what I said, when we're still studying Genesis, I said, when, when a word is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it describes its meaning throughout the Bible. And if you look at the structure of, of, of Genesis and, and, and how God is saying Moses as the head is going to be like a God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron is going to be a prophet. Aaron could not say anything which was not linked to Moses. That's why when Aaron started saying things outside what Moses had said, God punished him. So then we start seeing that prophecy has a flow. There must be, a, it just does not go from all over. There's sort of a, a, a hierarchy because even Christ says, whatever spirit that comes and does not testify about Christ, then question that spirit. Because if it is out of that line, then something is wrong with it. So this is where we see prophecy comes in. It links to the head, which is Aaron. Aaron was the head and there was, sorry, Moses was the head and there was Pharaoh. There was Aaron who was a prophet. I'm sorry, guys. So verse two, you shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh and he let the sons of Israel go out of the land. But I will harden, he says it again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel. The land of Egypt, from the land of Egypt by great judgment. 7 verse 5, the Egyptians, I did say you're going to see this so many times, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as, sorry. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Seven, Moses was 80 years old. 
and Aaron was 83 years old when they went to speak to the Pharaoh. And that shows you how we wait for God. For 40 years, he was in Midian. And now he's going to be for 40 years in the wilderness, 80 years in the waiting room until the Israelites get to Canaan. But that's how God is. So from eight up until, just to summarize what happens between eight to 13, they will go. They will go to Pharaoh and, and you know, God is amazing. <laughs> He, he asked Moses to do all these wonders in, in, in private. He said, Moses, you know, um, pour water on the ground. It will turn the, to blood. Put your hand under your bosom. Throw a, uh, a stick on the ground. He was, you know, God knows that as people, we, we like familiarity. We love familiarity. And, and when God used something that Moses knew, he was more comfortable to do it. Because it was the first time he ran away when he said <laughs> the, the, the stick turned into a, into a snake. But this time he says, start with those things. Start with those things that, you know, practice those things that I told you about. Because those are the things that you're going to need to strengthen your heart. Because I'm then going to do the difficult things. So they go to Pharaoh and did everything that uh, God had said they must do. And the Bible says that. 13, it says, yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So God did this and whatever that they were going through, the Lord had said. As we go into the next slide, we're going to summarize quickly the 10 plagues. We all know the 10 plagues, right? And I did say that Exodus 12 verse 12 it's where God tells us that these plagues were actually against the gods that were in Egypt. Egyptians believed in so many gods. And I just mentioned some of the gods that they used to believe in. You know, water, there was the god of the water, there was they had the god of the Nile, they had a god of frogs, the god of lice, a god of scarabs, god of animals, god of health. God of hail and fire, God of locusts, you know, they had gods for all. And these are the names of the gods. And God was challenging the many gods when he, he started working with the plagues in Egypt. And when you go to the next slide, we see the first plague was the plague of water turned into, into blood. The Bible says that God said, Moses, wake up in the morning, go to the Nile River. Next slide, go to the Nile River. When you get to the Nile River, where you meet Pharaoh, you're going to use Aaron, Aaron performed this, this um, plague. He's the one that struck the water and the water of the Nile turned into blood. The Bible says that the water that was struck was the water in the river, but all water in, in their houses, in mats, in tepaways, in everything turned into blood. The Bible says that all animals, the fish and everything that was in the Nile river died. And Egypt was smelling and all, everything, they could not drink the water. The, the Nile, the Nile for the Egyptians was like, and I always say it was like a currency for us. It was their lifeline. Lifeline. Egyptians are known as farmers. They were known as farmers a lot. And the Nile was what watered their plants. It was a life for them. And for their, God took the one thing that they trusted in as a daily source of living and he turned it into blood. As you go into the second plague, the second plague, you get, you get it from chapters 8, 8 verse 1 to 15, frogs. The Bible says that um, then God said the second plague will be the frogs. And there were frogs everywhere. In verse 7, it says the magicians, they repeated this plague. 
Next slide, please. The magicians repeated those plagues. They created more frogs. And there was a lot of frogs in the Bible says that they could not even reverse what they did. But God said, oh, and the one thing that I mentioned, forgot to mention, the, the Nile River was actually like that for seven days. And those that study patterns and numbers and all that, seven is a number for completeness. So the, the Nile was turned into blood for seven days. It was like that for seven days. Second one being frogs. They had frogs everywhere. The Bible said that you will have frogs in your bedrooms, on your bed, in your houses, in your ovens, in your kneading bowls. Frogs will be all over. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand uh, and stuff over the rivers from the streams. And, and frogs started just jumping all over um, Egypt. And the name of the God there was called Hect, which is the God that the God of frogs. The third plague was um, the plague of lies. Uh, others call them sand fleas. Others call them gnats, which it's those small, 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 small little flies that go into your nose and everything, you know, all those flies. They were too much. They were all over. The Bible says that um, God said to, to Moses, they will come from the dust of the earth. And, and they did, they were all over. And the God that was challenged there, there was a God known as Heper. This was the God of the insects. And he could, even the God of the insects could not protect. I like what happens in verse 19, because one of the magicians, one of the magicians said to them, this is a finger. This is the finger of God. This must be God, because they were repeating all this, this um, plagues. Water, they also turned water into blood. Frogs, they also did more frogs. Uh, flies, they could not create, more, they could not bring more flies or gnats, sorry. And they, one of them said, this must be the hand of God. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Plague number four, flies everywhere. Next slide. Um, it's, it's from 8 verse 20 to 32, where the Bible says that um, there is going to be a swarm of flies. Let my people, Moses said, let my people go. For if you do not let my people go, I will send swarm of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and in your houses. And the houses of Egyptians will be full of swarm of flies and also the ground on which they dwell. But on that day, you need to mark on that day, the land of ocean where my people are living so that no swarms of flies will be there. So what happened was there were flies all over Egypt, but not in Goshen. So God started separating that these are my people. He protected the Israelites from these flies. And, and um, that is where they started seeing, <laughs> you know, that these people are more favored than us. The next plague, which is plague number five, is the death of the livestock, where God killed um, all the animals. And I always say it, it does not make as much sense when you say livestock. But for us, it, this, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this was the capital because livestock is long-term wealth. So this is like a property market for us today in our language. This is the long-term stability of their economy. And all the animals died. And only the animals in Egypt and not in Goshen died that time. The Israelites and their animals were saved. Plague number six, they had boils. So they started having sores and boils. And it was not only on the people. Most people missed that. They only did, not only did the people have boils, even the animals that did not die 
The Bible says even the animals that did not die also had boils and they everyone was sick except the Israelites and the God that was tamed, uh, targeted there was a God known as Imhotep which was the God of magic or the God of healing and the next plague the seventh plague was hail and one thing you need to note God said that hail must destroy everything that the locust did not destroy so it was as if everything that was left there must be destroyed and and hail came the pharaoh felt bad i like how pharaoh started saying to moses i think you must call your god um and let's do this thing and moses says are you ready are you ready to let my people go and we all know that pharaoh then said come back tomorrow come back tomorrow and you know obviously he didn't change his mind and nothing happened and then the next plague was the plague of the locust where there were locusts all over all over Egypt. Um, and the ninth plague, I'll rush because I see time is done. The ninth plague was the plague of darkness. You need to underline, it was not normal darkness. It was darkness that was felt. The Bible says they could feel that darkness. And one thing that you also need to underline, there was darkness in Egypt, except in Goshen. And, and I always say, this is where you see the typology. Christ says, Christ says, even when you walk in darkness, you can see because you see, you, you have sight when you are in Christ. And it's as if God was saying, you know, when you are walking in my way, you will see even when there's darkness. So there was darkness in Egypt, but in Goshen, they could still see. We don't know whether they could still see because the darkness allowed them to see, or there was just light over Goshen. We don't know, but they could still see. The 10th plague. The 10th plague, which we're going to, and it's, it goes over three chapters, I said, it goes from chapter 12 to 15. It is where God now separated. And it's, Moses did not do it. Um, no, Aaron did not do it. God did it himself. It's a long process on what happens. God says to them, prepare, kill a lamb, and all the firstborn sons of, of Egypt. Not only people died, you need to mark this, even the firstborns of the animals died. Firstborns of the people and the animals died that day. And that leads us to the Passover. And, and I just look at the pattern. If you go to the, to the, to the next slide, sorry. The pattern, the first, three, the first three plagues happened to everyone in Egypt. Got the, the first three plagues, the water into blood, the frogs and the lice. And then plague four to four, to six, God distinguished his people from the Egyptians because only the Egyptians, God went through this and not, not um, the Israelites. And the last plague is where God distinguished himself from it, the last two plagues, um, seven to nine, sorry. It's where God distinguished himself from everyone because out of all those three plagues, when you read, and please take time to read the plagues, it's quite a beautiful story. God keeps on saying, he, he says, there was hail like not, the hail like they had never seen, locust like they had never seen, darkness like they had never experienced. So whatever that was experienced was something that as human beings, they had never experienced. And the 10th plague was the death. Um, and you know, all was for God to show who he was. This was clearly a battle of the gods because Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself thought 
as a God, I'm not going to allow another God to come into my place and, and tell me um, how to run this thing. But God wanted to show Pharaoh who he really was. And he did. He did the, the very, in a very hard way. Um, he, he showed him who he was. And, you know, as, as we I close this session, I just want to say, let us all allow God, you know, to show us where we are in bondage. Because bondage is not only what we read about in the book of, of Exodus. It is a real thing. And, and we do experience it as Christians. And, and these gods that we, we, we read about, we do, even as Christians, have gods, many gods there and there. Because a, a god with a small g is, is like any, anything that comes between you and, and, and the Father and the God that we all pray. So try by all means that you do not get to a point where um, there is something between you and the God that we pray. And as we go into prayer, let us all bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this evening. We thank you for your teaching. Most importantly, for reminding us that you can go through the process of rearranging what you saw as beautiful in creation after you created it, just to ensure that we get the freedom that we deserve. Father, we know that you do not have to prove to anyone that you are God because you are God. But when the gods of this world think they have power, you quickly show them who God is. I ask that you do that for us in our generation so that we may know who God is. We know that you love us as much because you allowed your firstborn son, your only son, to die on the cross so that we can be removed from this bondage. Father, we ask that you give us insight so that we might understand the bondage we are in and the many gods that interfere in our relationship with you and command our worship. We know that the taskmasters of this world require so much of us, but Father, let that not be at the expense of our relationship with you. We pray that you strengthen the realization that Christ that lives in us is way greater than the Pharaoh of this world. Increase, Father, the zeal to constantly search for you through the tools that you've given us. Please, Lord, give us guidance and speak to us in our search and lead us onto those trails so that there is a specific message for each one of us when we read your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Tando. Thank you, Cecilia, such an informative session. I think we've all felt like Moses in certain situations of our lives where something seemed impossible to overcome, but God always prevails and he's always in control. With that being said, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us tonight. I hope you all have an amazing rest of your Sunday and a spectacular evening. Week, week, <laughs> week. Thank you. <laughs>